Tales from the Heart, a podcast from the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association. I'm your host, Lisa Salberg. Today, we're going to be discussing some upcoming initiatives of the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association, including the addition of a new staff member who will be serving in the position of our volunteer coordinator. So I'd like to welcome Julie Russo, volunteer coordinator for the HCMA, to the podcast. Welcome, Julie. Well, thank you, Lisa. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Great to have you here. So I'm going to give everybody a little bit of history, Julie, and help them understand how it is you and I know each other and how it is that we could probably, in most cases, finish each other's sentences. (laughs) (laughs) True. Okay. So um, Julie moved into my neighborhood when um, we were both in elementary school and very quickly became very good friends. And I think that was 1970, help me, Julie. Uh, 1976, June of 1976. Actually, June 26, to be exact, because it was my mother's (laughs) birthday. That's right. Yeah. So uh, we've known each other for a long time. And our paths in life have taken us to different directions, And a couple of months ago, as we were seeing the need here at the HCMA for an additional staff member in the position of volunteer coordinator, I thought about all of the attributes I would want this individual to have, as well as the organizational skills I would want this person to have. And I thought, wow, that would be a person just like Julie. And I called you. And here we are today. And it's been a it's been a fun ride since. It, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. It uh, probably is not exactly what we imagined our uh, life to be when we were kids, um, but here we are today trying to build something together, which I think is really exciting. So let's talk about what this volunteer coordinator position is going to be, how we're going to involve our community, and how we're all going to work together. So. Actually, before we dive in too much to that, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Well, like Lisa said and everything, I've known her forever and ever, and our paths have always kind of aligned, even parallels and everything here and there, but we always connect. Um, I, um, I live in Pennsylvania, so I'm not that far from Lisa and everything, but an hour and a half, so I can't knock on her door for a cup of sugar or anything, but... It mean, doesn't mean that we're not connected. Um, I have a, a family, of course, like many of you do and everything. I have a son who is 28 years old. I have a husband. I have a brother who also lives with us. Um, beautiful family. And uh, this is just something that um, uh, it, it's a new adventure for me and everything, working with Lisa finally. And uh, I'm excited to do it. In reference to my 28-year-old son that I had mentioned, um, my son is on the autism spectrum. He was diagnosed when he was four years old, and he's mostly nonverbal, but he has his, his name is David, his Davidisms and everything, so we understand what he's saying. He's a gentle giant. Um, He has forced me to come out of myself and everything and out into the community and look for resources to help him and um, he's always smiling and always happy and he, he kind of keeps me, keeps me centered and he also has taught me a lot about, um, 
the ways uh, that people need to be communicated with and everything aren't always the same. And, and for, for him, I'm always grateful for many reasons and everything, but mostly um, because he's taught me patience and he's taught me um, to, to research and everything to find the best that I can for a, a given situation. And hopefully that's something that I'll be able to bring to this community as well. I'm very passionate about helping people. And watching Julie parent David is truly amazing. David is, could be a challenge for different personalities to have raised him. And he is lovely and he's loving. His favorite things to ask you are, are you happy? But he can't kiss Lisa on lips, only on cheek. (laughs) um, Because Adam will get jealous if he kisses me on the lips. It's adorable. Um, (laughs) And he is, he's just a sweet, kind boy who lives in a world that is created by his mother. And the environment that he is living in is a happy one. And that says a lot because it would be very easy for somebody to have lost their patience with David. It could be very easy for somebody to have a short fuse with him. But the right parent for the right child, Julie knows how to get the best for, for David and out of David. And those skills, you can't teach. They're, it, human empathy is something you have or you don't. And that is probably one of Julie's strongest attributes as, as my dear friend and, and is going to also be a huge attribute as a staff member in the capacity of a volunteer coordinator. Oh, you're kind and I love you. That's so sweet. <laughs> I love you too. But that's not why I hired you. I hired you because you're capable. <laughs> so, um, if and there's if there's anybody that can call me um, out if something's not going right and say no, 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 I think we really need to do this. You know, Julie and I have known each other a really long time, so she'll challenge me on no, I think this is the better way to do it, or no, maybe we should do this. And I love that. Um, I really do. That's going to really help build strong programs and a strong future for the HCMA. Give everybody a little understanding of some of your professional background. What kind of jobs have you held in the past and type of organizational Uh, skills that you have? I have a background in data management, um, database management. Um, I have a training background. Um, I developed training courses and deliver training courses all over the United States for um, more technical stuff, data networking type of training, but uh, the the path for training is the same regardless of if it's technical, if it's medical and everything, just to get the, the delivery out there and everything and, and provide information to everybody. I also have a background in property management. In the last 20 years, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, and it kind of made me a more well-rounded person. Fantastic. So you're used to dealing with training, you're used to dealing with data, and you like dealing with people. I love people. I love dealing with people. And that's, definitely a people person. <laughs> I've always known that about you, and that's why when I was looking for the characteristics of what kind of skills I needed, those were on my list. But additionally, I thought about what kind of a person. I needed a mission-driven person who understands the needs of communities that have special needs, whether they be cardiac or otherwise. And knowing you as long as I did, I just thought this was a fantastic fit. 
So we've been spending the past couple of weeks developing some programs for leadership training so we can bring our online support groups to the couches of thousands of patients with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy throughout the world. Why don't you tell them a little bit about what the training tools include and what the hopes are for the program? Uh, we began our training class last night with our first one, and I think it went very well. We had some slides that we were able to take the participants through to make them a little bit more aware of what our goals were for these training for the uh, group leaders, for the online support group leaders, and uh, you know, going through the basics and everything from how to set up a Zoom meeting, um, you know, getting getting the uh, the participants engaged in the process um, about privacy, you know, HIPAA rules and everything stuff to make sure that what what starts in the group stays in the group and doesn't go beyond the group. Um, how to keep people um, engaged and informed is basically what we want to be able to do and support each other with. So that's pretty much in a nutshell and everything what the goal of these online support groups are and we're really grateful for the leaders that have volunteered and we're looking forward to it being a real success. I am too. I think we had a great start last night. We trained 10 people and we're recording this on on uh, August 27th, 2020. So we're hoping that we can deploy some of these support group meetings um, before the end of September and we will be then doing some other initiatives that will work within the groups and outside of the support groups, the online support groups. So one of the other programs that we're working to put together, and it's it's earlier in stage, so we don't have a lot of the, the training tools built up yet, but one of them is the peer-to-peer big-hearted friends group, which will be an opportunity for us to engage individuals who want to share their experience on more of a one-on-one basis and help somebody else through a process that they've already been through. So you and I are going to start putting together the training for that and creating the infrastructure so people can request a peer. And we're hoping that once you request a peer and you've been through a process and you found it successful, that you'll want to volunteer to be a, a peer mentor to somebody else down the line. So do you have any um, other visions on that part of the program that you want to share with the listeners? Well, I know that in the past there's always been something loosely in place with regard to peer-to-peer. This is just to make it a more organized, um, structured way of matching correct people to correct people with you know the issues that they have that 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 they might have had in the past that they might be able to help somebody who's currently going through it. And like Lisa said, everything like you said, it's just a matter of um, once they've gone through that process and everything and they, they see how much it helps them, they might even volunteer to do that for somebody else in the future. And the peer-to-peer isn't necessarily for a specific amount of time per, per you know, pairing that we do. It could be a day, a week, a couple of weeks, even a year and everything. They might even go off and be friends in the future. But once they've done that, they can have another peer-to-peer um, relationship with somebody else that they can help as well. And I, I think this is going to be an evolution, and I know that, you know, I've spoken to many people over the years who say, I'd like to talk to somebody who's had a myectomy who's my age or who went to my surgeon or right. who and has my really religious important. Yeah. We want- exactly. Just, just matching them up and everything. It's really important and everything that they feel comfortable with whoever 
they're with. Exactly. And we're going to create a tool that people can say, these are the things that are important to me. Location, um, age, gender, ethnicity, whatever is important to you, we're going to do our best to find somebody who's the closest match to you. So stay tuned for more information on the Peer-to-Peer Project. We know that as of right now, um, we've got about 50 people who signed up willing to be peer-to-peers. And that was on our first brush of asking people. So I think that's going to turn out to be a very good program. And if you're interested, we'll have information online as to how to sign up to become trained so that you can be added to our peer-to-peer network. The next program that I want to discuss, and, and people should be very well aware of the fact that I am keeping Julie very busy with a lot of these projects that we're putting together. Um, one of the other stories is, or one of the other projects is going to tie into um, our rebooting of our web platform uh, coming up in 2021. And this is going to be the Share Your Story system. Now, some of you have watched previous Facebook Live interviews, um, even some of the earlier podcasts where we've talked to certain patients, but it's been a little informal. We're going to create a flow uh, of share your stories so that we make sure that we're covering all of the themes. We are going to try to integrate this similarly to how we did our patient-focused drug development meeting video vignettes which will be we're going to want you to not only share your story verbally on the podcast like this or similar, but we want to see that visual um, so we can create video vignettes of your story. We'll need a certain amount of pictures, some video, and we're going to have a professional editor. Thank you, Scott, be able to put those together for us and really make these robust stories so that in part they will be used to help people through the educational journey and process of understanding their own HCM. We'll also be able to raise awareness that we don't all look sick. We don't all look like cardiac patients, but we all have a story to tell and it's important that others hear your story because your story will help their story a little bit more effectively. So in the Share Your Story, Julie will be reaching out to you with some questionnaires and some data collection uh, so that we can create little um, files on each individual who is willing to share their story and deploy them. So you'll have a pre-interview process, um, an interview live process. We may do some on Zoom. We may do uh, some in live time when COVID is no longer an issue. Um, so there's going to be a lot of different opportunities there. Any comments you want to make about the Share Your Story program, Joel? I'm kind of very excited about this part. I love the fact that so many people have volunteered to share their story to help educate others. I love the fact that in something like this, we would be able to Anybody could listen to it at any time. You can't sleep at three in the morning. I want to, you know, I, I, it, it'll be something that you can access when you need it. And, and I love that part of it. I do too. I, I like the, um, the on-demand nature and some of the visions that we have for the upcoming website will make this a very interactive experience. So uh, I just finished a call Absolutely. on that earlier. It's going to be so exciting. Um <laughs> So I love your enthusiasm. 
Somehow that hasn't died yet. I'm hoping so. I hope a lot of people are like, wow, now there's more ways for me to get involved. And I like this and I like that. So for you, you um, participants and listeners who are more interested in helping make change happen within our community and for our community, we have our newly formed Elizabeth T. McNamee Legislative Subcommittee, which has been actively working for about a year now to create a pathway to help identify the undiagnosed through legislative efforts at the state level. Now, first of all, I want to say these are nonpartisan issues. So we're not looking to be divisive politically, but we are looking to make political change or legislative change, better yet said, to encourage states to employ the utilization of cardiac screening questions in a well-child exam and improvements in their pre-participation screening physicals for athletes. So that's where we're starting from. And we spent the summer, and Julie was integrally involved in this process, we had a team Absolutely. of wonderful interns. So, Julie, you want to walk them through the, the legislative subcommittee intern project for the summer and what these girls were actually able to put together and what we're about to be able to deploy? Absolutely. These girls were wonderful, hardworking. They did all the, the groundwork and everything that, that we needed from uh, doing medical research and everything to um, legislative um, initiatives and everything that are happening or not happening in states that we've pinpointed to start off with. If I'm not mistaken, 11 or 12 states is what we're working with right now. And hopefully once that's done, it'll just be that much easier and anything to get the ball rolling in other states. But um, these these young ladies were um, really uh, knee deep in data and, and trying to find prevalence of anything, any diseases and everything related to the heart that would possibly cause sudden cardiac death and um, just kind of finding the common thread and everything and all of that and down to finding each representative from the state that, that would be able to assist us and everything in, in our efforts. Um, the, the amount of work that they put into it is, is just really valuable to our efforts and uh, they have proved invaluable to the whole process and everything. Um, we look forward going forward to having individuals actually go and knock on doors and everything, um, volunteer to knock on doors with all this training that we're going to be putting together to get them um, into uh, turning this this idea, this really important idea, into fruition, into law. So we're we're mirroring what we've done in New Jersey. So it's been done already. We have the background and the knowledge of what needs to be done. And I'll just go into a little bit more detail on what some of the interns put together. Um, So we looked at some medical data and we came up with the prevalence of all diseases that can cause cardiac arrest or have cardiac implications in the young, all the majors. So obviously there's going to be some smaller syndrome things, but we looked at the the big ones, HCM's prevalence, long QT, arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, uh, Brugada syndrome, Marfan syndrome, congenital abnormalities. Um, So we looked at all of this data, and now we have a prevalence number. We can actually now go into any district in any of the states that are in our core data right now 
and tell you the prevalence within their constituency. So we'll know that they have 940,000 people in their community, and we know out of all of the diseases that we're talking about, 30,000 families could be affected. That's how granular we got this data. So that's on the prevalence and why this legislation is important, because many of these people go undiagnosed for many years at a time. That helps to drive it home, right. It makes it personal. It brings it home. Then we looked at legislation in each state that's kind of similar, maybe health-related, other things that they're, they're screening in children. And we looked for the champions in each state. So we've identified who we need to go to talk to to really move things faster. And then we can work on getting, you know, um, uh, other people to join the bandwagon within the legislature of each individual state. And the individual stories of our volunteers are really going to be what makes this real and tangible to them. So you don't necessarily have to have HCM to participate in this particular endeavor. Um, you might be a healthcare provider. You might be a uh, member of the community who just thinks, yes, it's really important to know what children have heart disease. By opening the door to see what children might be at risk, we open the door to that entire family. And we have the opportunity not only to treat the child in a timely way, but the, the entire family, the parents, aunts, uncles, siblings, and extended family as well. So our interns put together, um, I think we have 207 pages of cited data that really put a compelling argument together. We're working on our draft legislation language. We're not going to deploy training and uh, implementation of the legislative subcommittee advocates um, probably until later in the fall. We're going to get through the national election cycle and then really focus on 2021 being able to deploy these efforts. So we're creating those training tools right now, and uh, we're getting really good at creating training tools, and now we have to get really good at deploying those training tools. Right, Joel? Absolutely. So as I talk to people on the phone and as we're out and about talking about HCM on social media and on our different platforms, we want people to know that they can get involved and they can become trained, and we'll provide you with the materials and the talking points, and you can become part of a team that will help to facilitate change in your community. So I think these are really important initiatives. Um, They're going to take some work to organize. Um, we're working on some uh, infrastructure issues that will make it a little bit easier for everybody to communicate. That'll be a 2021 um, goal to get through. Um, but there's just so many things that we have to do. I don't think Julie's going to get bored anytime soon. At least I hope she doesn't. <laughs> I will not. I will not. And these are all great projects. I agree. And we're, we're going to be bringing in our medical experts as well as our patient experts to help in some of these initiatives. So um, if people want to sign up, uh, as I said, we'll put some links on this podcast and they can go to the HCMA website and learn more about volunteering opportunities. And we'll make it real easy for them to communicate with our new volunteer coordinator. And we'll be recruiting as many people as possible and training as many people as possible. And that's pretty much what we have in mind. And I want Julie to talk to us a little bit about, you know, what are the, what do you think are going to be the best ways for people to communicate with you? Should they be using email? Should they be calling the office? How, how do you think? I is am best? open to most every form of communication. Email always works best because 
if I can't sleep, I can be answering emails and I, Don't I kind of work enjoy in the middle that of the flexibility. Night. Your boss won't let you do that. Um, neither but will your friend. Phone calls, whatever works best for, for, for the individual and everything, I'm available. I'm looking forward to working with a lot of you and everything and I'm, I'm going to make myself accessible, whichever format and everything is easiest for you. Fantastic. So we're going to start in the United States with these endeavors. We will eventually be reaching out internationally. I want to stop and talk about that for a little while. Um, I know. This is really exciting. So I've already reached out to a couple of people. We have more to do. We're, we're doing our work um, to create a new program called HCMA International or HCMA-I. And this program will create affiliate programs in other countries that will help to organize patient communities within their own countries. So these people were hoping for volunteers from different nations who are bilingual in their native language and English because that will make it easiest for us to work with the uh, individual country. We're going to have that individual trained and we're going to provide information through the HCMA that they can translate into their native language. And we're going to be working with each individual country to find thought leaders in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy management so we can create good referral patterns in those countries and hopefully mirror the HCMA Recognized Center of Excellence programs that we're using in the United States, where we are now at 41 programs. And we have six in the hopper right now for review. So things are getting busier there as well. So if you're an international listener and you think you might want to get involved and learn more about how to create services like the HCMA has for U.S.-based and Canadian-based um, individuals, then uh, by all means, reach out to Julie at 4HCM.org. That is J-U-L-I-E at sign number 4HCM.org. And she will be able to get you on our list for when we're able to start doing the training on the international programs as well. So, Julie, you ready to, like, meet people from literally all over the world? I am totally ready, yes. I am ready for this. I think you are, too. So is there anything else you would like to tell us about what you're learning about the community, what you feel about the programs, and what your hopes are for all of this? Well, you know what? I, I'm really impressed at how tight-knit the community is. Um, everybody seems to be willing to help the next person, whether it's give information or referrals and um, and I've never seen such a high volume of people willing to volunteer to help others. Um, it's just, it's actually, it's, it's awe-inspiring for me, you know, to see that. And, and I'm very grateful to be part of such a, a great community. And we're very happy to have you in this community. I do have well, to... thank you. I remember many years ago, um, there was previously a center of excellence not far from your home. And we did a community meeting there and you said, I'll volunteer, I'll help with registration. And uh, you came out and I think that was the first time you ever heard me speak publicly. And I think your parents it showed up too. It was jaw dropping. I was, I am so, I'm still in awe when I see you out speaking publicly. And you've always had that database brain where you could pull things from wherever and everything and you've got 
so much information floating around in there and everything. And I just, I was way in the back and everything. And you even referenced me and I was like, I wanted to crawl under a table and everything. I was like, yep, here I am. And, uh, but uh, it was, that's where I really, really saw how far the HCMA had come. I, I was there in the beginning. I remember the, the, you know, the initial efforts and everything, but to see it go from that point to where it was even there, and now it's gone even beyond there, it's, it's really, really wonderful to see. Well, thank you. So I think we're going to go backwards to go forwards, and I am going to tell the story of my diagnosis and how Julie is actually involved in that story. So as we mentioned, uh, Julie moved into the neighborhood in 1976. Um, we were, you know, elementary school students at that point. You were third grade and I was fourth grade. I remember. Yes. So those lovely years. Yes. Bad hair. Okay. But um, <laughs> it was the 70s. What did you want? So a few years go by and I am in middle school. Julie's a grade ahead of me. And I don't know um, if they still do it the same way, but back then, seventh grade girls went to the nurse's office and they were measured and checked for scoliosis and a doctor listened to your heart. And you stood in line with all the girls and you took your turn and um, I walked into the, the room where the doctor was and he put the stethoscope to my chest and he looked very concerned and he called for the room to be cleared. There was a like smaller room that everybody was kind of lined up in and they backed all the other girls out. So intimidating for a child. I'm 12 at this point. Um, So they push everybody else out of the room. They close the door. The doctor and the nurse are standing there looking at each other. Um, Now, the interesting part of the story is I actually didn't know what they meant at the time. It took 30 plus years for me to put the rest of the story together, but I have now. And the other part of the story might be listening to this podcast. So um, this is Copeland Middle School in Rockaway Township, New Jersey. And I'm listen. I'm having my heart listened to. The doctor and the nurse of the school are looking at each other. And the doctor said, I think it's what she had and he like kind of gave some head motion and he goes you know the one the stone he was referring to the girl and I didn't know this at the time there was a memorial stone out front of the school and it was a prior student who had died from sudden cardiac arrest due to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy and they were talking in code saying I think it's that I think it's that and he said you listen And the nurse took the stethoscope and listened and her eyes bulged out. And I was like, oh, no, this I I know what this is. My grandfather died of a heart problem. My uncle has a heart problem. My sister has a heart problem. And now I have a freaking heart problem. Twelve year old Lisa with attitude and everything. (laughs) And it was not fun because now everybody is wondering why the door was closed. Twelve year old girls are little evil beings. The movie Mean Girls. I could have been filmed in our school at that time, I think. Um, So, of course, now everybody's like, what's that about? And, you know, I don't want to pull the drama card. I don't want to get upset. I don't want anybody to see me cry. But I know what I was just told. 
they don't know that they told me that, but I, I know something's seriously wrong. So the nurse went into her sub office, which was off of that office. Um, the door opened. Um, I was sequestered with the nurse, who then called my mother and told my mother that she had um, to get me to a cardiologist immediately, and if it wasn't done by week's end, that I wasn't going to be allowed back in school. I'm like, okay, this this just went from this is a little annoying to what do you mean I can't go to school? This is crazy. So um, it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday, so they gave him until Friday for me to have an appointment, and I actually got one. Um, but as I left the office, it was it was changing time in classes, and um, I heard the bell go, and I'm sitting there going, I can't believe this is happening. And I walked around the corner by the library, and there That's comes great. Julie down the hall, and she just looked at me. What do you remember from that day, if anything? I just, I remember looking at you and everything and you were pale and, and you were not your usual bubbly self. And, you know, there was no, hey, Joel or anything. It was just, you were very quiet. And at that point, it just felt like everything was going in slow motion. Yeah, it's exactly how I remember it. And I don't think I've ever asked you what you remember. Um, <laughs> I, I could visually tell something was seriously wrong and I, I wasn't sure what it was and everything, but... Um, I knew it was something pretty grave. Yeah, I remember saying, oh, they just heard a heart murmur. I know I have what Lori has. I know I have what my uncle has and, you know, my grandfather. And bubbly Julie over here is like, you're going to be fine. It's going to be great. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And a big hug. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if I share your enthusiasm on this one, but uh, all right. But it was so nice to have somebody right there at that exact moment in time. And, you know, you wonder about timing of things. And at that exact moment, you were exactly what I needed. And, and was I exactly right? You are great. You <laughs> did great. You are fine and everything. And look at how many other people you're helping now as a result. Well, it's been a little bit of a bumpy road to get to here, but yeah, eventually you were right. I'll give you that one, but uh, oh, that's how it started. And, you know, taking this full circle again, um, oh wait, let me, let me get back to the, the rest of the story on the, the head nods and the words between the doctor and the nurse. So many years go by, I was in my first official HCMA office in Hibernia and the phone rings, and it's a, a guy who knows somebody that we grew up with who suggested that they give us a call at the HCMA. And this gentleman had previously lived in Rockaway. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And he had HCM. And he was looking like he was heading, you know, the transplant path quite early on. And we talked a little bit about our experiences with HCM and Rockaway, et cetera. And then I realized that his sister was the young girl who died while she attended Copeland Middle School and whose stone stood out front of the school when I was diagnosed. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Okay, now those subtle eye movements and the stone and the this, it all came back. And then I was hearing it from his perspective, which was just heartbreaking. And uh, he now lives in Pennsylvania. Not too far from where you are, actually. And he nice. has gone through his transplant as well, and he's doing really well. 
Um, and for those who are listening who are new to HCM and you've heard transplant in two people, only 4% of our population go to transplant. So don't worry, it's not the common pathway. Um, but it's the right one for some of us. So that whole story kind of came to fruition. And when I was creating in my mind, who is the, who is the person that I need as a volunteer coordinator? Who's going to get the need for support in HCM that may be affected, may not be affected? And your, all your skills came together. I knew your work history. I knew what you were capable of. And I called you one morning. I'm like, I have an idea. And it all started in the hallway of Copeland Middle School in like 1979, 1980, whatever that was. Um, but that moment, it's like, no, she's got the right empathy for this. And she's also got the right organization. And she can kick people <laughs> into action and help us keep organized. And that's how Julie became the volunteer coordinator of the HCMA. And we've come a long way, baby. That we have. That we have. I thank you for listening to Tales from the Heart. For more information on HCM, we encourage you to visit our website at 4hcm.org. Join us online for the conversation on our Facebook page or in our private group. Facebook page can be found at Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association. And our Instagram handle is at 4hcmwarriors. That's the number 4hcmwarriors. Follow us on Twitter at 4hcm.org. For those members of the LinkedIn community, you may want to follow the conversation on the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association group. Join us today. We would like to thank our sponsors, Myocardia, Invitae, Boston Scientific, and Cytokinetics for their support of this program. Please remember to sign up for the HCM Strong Tour, Big Hearted Warriors Unite. Our virtual tour will begin September 3rd and include dates September 17th, October 8th, October 10th, October 24th, October 29th, November 12th, December 3rd, and December 10th. A few other events will be added. Check the updated registration information at 4hcm.org. Hope to see you at one of our upcoming meetings. The HCMA is partnering with Myocardia, 23andMe, and others to help learn more about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Learn more about these initiatives at 4hcm.org. Invitae, a genetic testing company and a sponsor of Tales from the Heart, is proud to provide free genetic testing to families with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Please learn more at 4hcm.org. To contact the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association, you can call 973-983-7429. You can email us at support at 4hcm.org or visit us online at our website 4hcm.org and send us an email from there. The Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association is located in New Jersey and operates on East Coast time.